Hi, I'm Zina, and welcome to Think Law, a podcast series brought to you by four LSE students, where we interview people from different legal backgrounds to guide aspiring law students. This episode will focus on how to successfully apply to American law firms. We have had the pleasure to organize an event with the LSE Law and America Society, where we discuss Tarek Eid's successful journey to becoming a training contract holder at Gibson Dunn. Um, my name is Tarek Eid. I have studied at LSE for the last... Uh... Three years, graduated last July as a management student, and now I'm undertaking my law conversion at BPP, uh, which is the university, one of the two universities that do the law conversion course in London. I signed the contract, I was lucky enough to sign a contract with Gibson Dunn in uh, July as well, after undertaking a three-week vacation scheme with the firm, starting there in September of 2024. So I'm here to guide you guys as I'm sure you're interested about a career in the law. I hope so. Otherwise, uh, I don't see the <laughs> utility of you being here, but I'm here to guide you through the process and uh, hopefully be able to So what made you go into law in the first place? Because your background is in management. You could run a business. <laughs> it was a, a strategic decision, I think. I went into the management degree knowing I was going to do the law conversion afterwards because I knew I was I wanted to be a lawyer, but I was given a very valuable advice uh, before applying. So this was in high school, uh, which was that doing a non-law degree, in my case a business degree, would give me a commercial perspective, an out-of-the-box perspective, and an extra value added to law firms. And that's why I applied to a business degree because I think it was I thought it was the most broad decision, uh, which would include a lot of subjects which would be useful to me in in a law firm. Uh, so I applied to the management degree, knowing this would be the the means to an end to become a lawyer afterwards. So that everything in my summers to be able to compensate this and have a, a legal profession internship baggage to then apply to law firms. So, and, and in terms of, so you have the strategy, I want to be a lawyer from the beginning, um, and they do want you in the application demonstrate an interest in commercial law. That's right. So how did you tick that box? I think through the internships I, I, I tried to gather during my three years at LSC, every summer I, I went into a law firm, one in Lebanon, my home country, one in Dubai, where my parents live, and one in an in-house team in London, uh, to try and show these law firms I was applying to that, okay, I did a non-law degree, but law is in my blood, right? So this is what I want to do, but I only did the management thing to have an extra thing to add to you guys as law firms. So through law internships, through my involvement in the Law Society at LSE, through showing that it's the management degree, but it's to, in the end, become a lawyer. And any resources that you can recommend? Any, like, podcasts? Uh, to, to know more about law firms, Legal Cheek was the best uh, resource I, I can recommend because it gave me everything I needed to know on every single law firm that operates in the UK. They have everything from practice areas, to salaries, to partnership numbers, to trainee intakes, to everything included. So and there are websites. Yeah, yeah, website free, public to everyone. So. Um, now, how did you then choose where to apply to? Like what criteria did you use to identify, or did you just carpet bomb? No, no, no. I think that that's not a good strategy, to be honest, because carpet bombing the market is risky. You're going to have 40 applications, but zero substance in the end. So what I did was target American law firms first, because uh, they have a smaller intake, which is a very risky gamble, right? Because a smaller intake means a smaller chance of getting in. But once you're in, you're not just a number. You're one of eight, in my case, at Gibson Dunn which means you have a value to the firm, you have a role, You they need you and you need them. Whereas in British law firms, with all my respect to, to these guys, they do amazing work, uh, 
you would be one of 100 at Clifford Chance, one of 90 at Allen Overy, one of 110 at Linklaters. So that's another risky gamble. You have maybe more chance to get in, but once you're in, you'll get secretarial work, which is, won't add that much value to you as a trainee compared to American law firms, I think. So I targeted American law firms first. Then, when I had more time, I applied to some UK law firms, which, by the way, I didn't get any offer from them. Uh, because I think UK law firms, they recruit more uh, on, a, on an industrial basis, right? It's, it's a lot more by the number. We get the application, we don't like this word, out. Whereas in American law firms, they consider it on a case-by-case -case basis. They interview a lot of people, so they give the chance to a lot of people to interview, right? Because on your written application, it's you, but it's not really you. Whereas when you're in the interview, that's when you get the chance to prove yourself. So I got a few interviews in American law firms and then uh, got the offer at Gibson Dunn. It was not a hesitation because Gibson Dunn was a firm I had came across, I had come across in first year at the law fair at LSE. Uh, and I, I just fell in love with, with the firm, what everything they told me about it. I just, I went and done some research, spoke to trainees. Gibson Dunn was the choice for me in the beginning, but all of the equivalent law firms in the American industry have amazing ways of doing business, and uh, that's how I basically chose Gibson. And to what extent did you, so you didn't carpet bomb, you chose the law firms, and then in terms of right, putting down your application, how much work did you put into tailoring those? It basically took the whole of my semester from September to December of my third year at LSE, because the strategy of going for American law firms means you have more time to apply, but that doesn't mean the, the applications will take you less time to do, because you have to show them you want to be in this firm, not just in a firm. So that's tricky, because you've never been in this firm before, you don't know anyone at, the firm, at this firm usually, so it's hard to show them you belong, you want to belong there. So I put a lot of work in research, speaking to trainees, speaking to associates, even partners sometimes, and try to understand what it is they want in their office, and try to be the best version of, of this description in my application. So that's the... And how many did you put in, in numbers? How many applications? Yeah. 15 in total. 15. Yeah. That's a big number. It is actually, yeah. But of the 15, 9 or 10 were American, and 5 were but you have to, I mean, it's risky, sorry, it's risky to, to do just five, right? I mean, of 15, I got three offers. No, two offers, three interviews. So it's not, and that, I was very lucky. People usually do not get any offer, and that's very normal, right? Usually people apply and reapply and reapply, go paralegally and go, it's, it's normal. But you can't do 40, but you can't do five. So 15 to 20, I think, is a fair number in terms of applications. So you went and researched them individually, worked out what they do, what they're good at, what they say about themselves, and then worked out how you can present yourself to match those exactly. criteria. Um, now, in terms of interview, how did you get ready for those? Interview, that's another tricky part because the interview is a bit stressful. I was interviewed by four partners uh, who sat, it was on Zoom, but they sat on a, on a table like this and they were all together. Uh, it was a bit stressful and a bit intimidating. Uh, and that would have been during the pandemic. It was, it was, it was yeah. in 2021. Yeah. No, beginning of 2022, yeah. yeah. So it was on Zoom, but I think now they are still on Zoom, which makes it a bit less stressful for, for, for you guys. Uh, but during the, to prepare for the interview, I basically spoke to, to future trainees who did the same process a year earlier. This was the best and the most useful thing to do because they, the interviews don't really change year after year. And uh, I got very valuable advice from future trainees at Gibson Dunn who gave me a very good insight of what happened during their interviews. Uh, so that's, that's what happened. Then I used that to prepare. Gibson Dunn was not a hard interview process relatively. 
uh, first of all, they didn't have critical thinking tests, you know, these things that we find in, in usually in British law firms. It, it was more, they care more about knowing me than knowing whether I can answer a critical thinking question. And then they bet everything on the VAC scheme. So getting into the VAC scheme is not that challenging in American law firms usually. But once you're in, that's, the, that's what they were going to see because you're in for three weeks. They can see where you're good, where you're less good, where you need improvement, if you can be a good addition to their office. So the process was two interviews. One was um, about me, just about my application process, uh, about my application form. And the second one was uh, more critical thinking based, which I, where I had to read an article and then critically summarize and answer questions from the partner related to this article. Mm -hmm. So they, they looked at your analytical skills through a text that, but you're yeah. a lawyer. Yes. Um, so do you think the people with law degrees would get a more of an exam type situation? No, 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 no. It's the same process for everyone. And I think non-law non -law students like me were not at all uh, handicapped by this because, first of all, the article was not law related. Then during the VAC scheme, we get a lot of work that's not law-related, and the law-related work is very straightforward, very, I mean, it's mostly contract-based, to see how we can structure things, how we can talk about things, how we can include things in our analysis, and whether we have what it takes to be put, basically, that's, I'm quoting a partner here, he said in plain English, I want to know if I can put you in a room with a client, go to the restroom, excuse my French, for 10 minutes, and be able to leave you with this client, no, you're not going to talk about just the weather, right? He wants to know if he can leave me with this client for 10 minutes and know that I can be an intellectual talking partner to this client, right? So if you, in three weeks, show them that you can be in a room with these people, convince them that you can be a valuable addition in terms of work, quality of work, but also, and most importantly, I think, in terms of social interactions, that's what it takes, right? Because I had a big disadvantage compared to law students. I didn't have the academic writing uh, qualifications that they needed. I'm a management student. My course was mainly quantitative, math, finance, stat. I did not have what it took to write law academic texts or even law contractual texts. That was a disadvantage. And I was told that, plain English, straight in the eyes, you do not yet have what it takes to write good contracts for us. But, what you, but this, you're going to gain it in your two years law conversion course. What you have is the social interaction skills that we need to build meaningful relationships with our internal colleagues, co-counsel, and clients. That's what they need. So, that, so what happens then during the back scheme? So you got yourself into a position where they accepted your interfax scheme and then were there different seats were you what did you see then so there were two seats it was a three-week vac scheme two seats ten days each uh, we had a, a choice but it was not really a choice we had we could put three three preferred seats in, in a list but then they would allocate seats uh, in terms of availability I was put uh, in employment for the first ten days and then in uh, restructuring corporate finance. Uh, which was great. The two seats were great because they were very different in terms of what I did in each. And the good thing about Gibson Dunn specifically is that we can, even if I was in employment and financial restructuring, I could and I did uh, ask for work from other practice areas. So I did work for um, arbitration and I did work for white-collar crime. Uh, this this is proper to Gibson Dunn because they have a free market system, as they call it, where if you're in the corporate wing, so the transactional wing or the litigation wing, you can do work from other practice areas within these two wings. So I was allocated these seats, but I did work for other seats as well. So when you say work, what was it that you were doing? To my... Good surprise, it was very, very intellectually stimulating work. It was not secretarial work that just involved drafting and reviewing. It was, I actually, so one example I can give is I was, I was working with a, a partner I met there on a loan. Um, so his client want, wanted to, to, to lease an airplane 
I worked on the loan and I saw everything that happened during the proceedings. So the meetings, the negotiations with the banks, with the client, with the co-counsel, with the extra counsel, with the opposing counsel, everything that happened, I saw the process. And my task day to day was to review the loan agreements as they amended them and try to find loopholes and, uh, and maybe problems in these loan agreements and then come back to my partner and say, this is good, this is not good. And even if my work was going to be reviewed five times, it was nice to see that I had a purpose, even as a VAC schema in the firm. Okay. Yeah, so anything else you think you would have liked to know before you started this process? Specifically for Gibson Dunn, what you guys should know and what is useful to know is that they're going to assess and I think it's the case for similar sister American law firms. They're gonna uh, they're gonna give you day-to-day -day tasks which are not prepared. But we also had two um, two pre-prepared -pre tasks, which was one in contract uh, review and one in arbitration, where we all had the same exercise. All 18 of us had the same exercise to review a contract to write uh, clauses, and this was a bit law-related, which I struggled with in the beginning, but then I had help from websites and, and, and resources, uh, which Reuters Law, by the way, is a very good resource for that. Uh, and then these two tasks are extremely important because they are the only tasks which they can assess everybody on the same level. Uh, so these I focused a lot on during three, the three weeks. Uh, other than that, the good thing at Gibson Dunn as well, which I think is unique to the firm, I might be wrong about this, every single person who has had an interaction with you during the VAC scheme can give feedback. Anyone. So personally, I got feedback from people I had met once at one talk or one social event or even the, the very nice lady from the cafeteria gave feedback about me. She said, so... This I did not know before, and just being nice to everyone naturally is crucial at Gibson Dunn because I can give you a good example of, of, of someone from the VAC scheme the year before me who was the best VAC schemer they ever got, right, in the seven years they've run the program. He spoke one time in a mean way to an, a member of staff and it didn't take two seconds, he didn't get the training contract, right? Because this member of staff said, this guy spoke to me in a very condescending way and only was respectful to partners, right? So be respect respectful to everyone at all times because you're going to be under a lot of pressure and it's easy to sometimes lose it, right? Let's, get, uh, let's be honest, we're all human. Uh, sometimes I worked until 11 p.m. At, at Gibson Dunn during the VAC scheme and it was easy to let the stress get the better view. But in the end, every single person can give feedback. And that's amazing in a way, because you don't even only have feedback from your two supervisors, you have feedback from anyone who's had a social interaction with you, who wants to. So an email goes out in the end, says, anyone who's had an interaction with one of our VAC schemers, give feedback if you want to. And it's amazing, because people who I, I didn't even think would give feedback, actually gave feedback and said, this guy is good, hire him. And so you got to see the, it, did you? Which one? The feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not, not everything. But we have a feedback call in the end. And for instance, I, I, that's an interesting story because I was looking for Lebanese, uh, Lebanese people at Gibson Dunn on the internal database. Mm -hmm. And I found there's a Lebanese guy in Dubai. So I reached out on Teams and I was like, hi, I'm in, in London, a VAC schemer, can we have a call? Just a social call. I was just seeing meaning to connect with Lebanese people at Gibson Dunn. This guy then phones HR in London from Dubai and says, that guy reached out to me in Dubai to speak with me and ask me about my work there. Hire him. Right? So <laughs> that I found out after I had signed my offer. So that's to show you in American law firms, and I think more specifically in Gibson Dunn, human interactions are here. And everybody, everything else is one step underneath. That's what I, I think so I really much. So they like your ability to network. Exactly. Yeah. I can see why. Um, 
So what about grades then? How do you think? It, I'm not going to ask you about yours, but no. <laughs> but I, how important are they? Like, what's the how much of an indicator is is your grade profile? This is uh, go by the see academic people are not listening to this because grades don't matter as much as I thought they did. Uh, two one. Thank you very much. That's it. They did not look at one. I mean, maybe that's because I was in a business degree, but I'm sure they will look at every single one of my law modules now. But they required a two one sixty flat, and not even a high two one. I was lucky enough to to have a good grade, but they they really did not care that much because. And I asked the graduate recruitment team there. I mean, how how important are grades? They said grades are a way to filter you because we know that if you get a 2-1 at LSC or at an equivalent university, you're a good student. But we want to see how you interact with people. So you get good grades, then you pass all your law modules at BPP, or in your case, if you're LLB students, you have to get a 2-1 in each of your LLB modules. I think that, don't quote me on this, but because at BPP we have to, get, we have to pass each of our law modules. I don't know if in LLB... Three LLB courses, you have to do the same, but grades no, no, doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. So just a two-one total. They don't. They don't really care about anything else, basically. And then, what do you wear? Talking about suits. Suits, full suits. Full suits, <laughs> like jacket, tie. That's vac like schemers. Suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. completely with with a tie and everything. Because uh, and and for for ladies, very formal attire as well. Because you're here for three weeks. You do not. The margin for error is way lower than if you're here for two years. So in three weeks you have to prove yourself and I think that's what that was the most stressful part of it is that every single step you make in this office for three weeks is assessed basically. But that does not mean you don't have the right to make mistakes. You do. You have I, I did make mistakes during my VAC scheme. And I did not get everything right and you will they do not expect you to get everything right but they expect you to to, to, if you get a mistake, assume it and say, okay, here, this was wrong. I'm going to make it better here. But in terms of the formality, the, you have to be at your best, the best version of yourself, basically, for three years, for three weeks. That's what's most stressful about it. Associates and, and partners, they don't come in full suits anymore, right? because they, after COVID, the era of being formal all the time is a bit less predominant. They wear suits only when they meet with clients. Um, before I open the floor for questions, what goes through my head is, is it going to be as intense going forward, do you think, through your period as a trainee? Do you feel you'll be under constant surveillance? No, no, no. no. I, mean, I, I know for a fact that when you're a trainee or then an associate, the room... Because the period is longer, right? I mean, you're, when you Gibson Dunn especially, they hire VAC schemers for them to stay, hopefully, for their whole career at the firm, right? They, they want to grow their own. Some partners I've met at the firm were there for the last 37 years. 37 years. So that's, they joined when they were a graduate, and they are still there now in their 60s. So then once you're in for a long time, the room for error is, 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 is a bit higher, right? Because you have more time. You don't have to prove yourself in three weeks and then they're going to tell you if you have a job for the rest of your life. So when you're a trainee, you always have to, to do good because you want to be retained. But, and when you're an associate, you want to do good because you want to make partner. So the pressure is always here in a way, but over an ex a more extended period of time. So less condensed and less stressful for three weeks, you have to be the best version of yourself every time you walk out or you walk in that office. Okay, so questions from you guys? Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that some nights you would be working until 11pm. Uh, having done a vacation scheme, what would you say about the work-life balance and if there's any way to kind of... It's fine. Really, it's fine. And in your 20s, it's fine, right? I mean, work, 
until 11 p.m. Uh, two days a week if you have a big deal, big contract, big transaction, big trial. It's fine, right? And so, uh, so it's fine is of course a question of I'm happy relative. with it. Yeah, 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 it's relative. It's all relative, um, right? If you, so, so can you quantify what you saw the workload was? Right. So, yeah, again, it's fine, it's relative, right? But my opinion is it's high effort, high reward in, in this environment, right? So the good thing now is with work from home, a lot of everybody was out of the office by 5 p.m. 6 p.m. tops. Then they worked from home until late sometimes. But at least they were at home with their families. So this made it better now. You don't have to be in the office until 11 p.m. midnight. If you have work, you can leave at 5, work from home. So an associate told me that the, the, the workload now is good because he leaves at 5, tucks his kids down to bed at 7, starts working again at 9, but from home, in his bed or on his couch, right? So this makes it better. When you have a big transaction or a big trial coming up, you're going to work late and sometimes you're going to have to stay in the office. But that's going to be rather fun because everyone's going to, the whole team is going to be in the office working on this in one big conference room. So when there's a big transaction or a big trial that spans over a long period of time, they book one conference room and it's basically HQ, they call it, right? So everybody stays there, works there. It makes it a bit fun and it's never longer than two weeks, we have a lot of pressure, then it cools down, then it comes back. So, Are there different areas that are more prone to HQ type situations? In transactions, um, less, but in transactions sometimes when you have high pressure deals, which need to be done, PE, m deals mostly, which need to be done in a certain amount of time, this so could be... private equity and mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, private equity and mergers and acquisitions, so that's a, one of the... Gibson down one of the most important corporate areas. Uh, and in litigation, which is more the, the arbitration when there's disputes side of, of the business, uh, you have these but over longer periods of time, right? Because some trials last a year or two years. And you have two weeks of pressure to have one injunction passed and then it cools down. So it's relative. First of all, thank you for your uh, I had a small question. Before you applied for VAC schemes, you said that during the summer you uh, went and did many internships in Dubai, in Europe, and in Lebanon as well. And as law students here, what will you give us for, like, would you recommend us to go for a law firm to get, like, legal internship, uh, to get a legal internship, to get some experience there, or would you rather let us go to, like, a company and, for example, go to the legal department inside that company and get experience there. Like, what do you think would give us a bigger advantage in that respect? Right. Uh, good question. Just to, to clarify, all of my internships, none of them was in a big law firm, right? Because they do not give informal one-month internships to... They only do the VAC schemes. So don't expect, unless it's a non-London office of one of these law firms, don't expect an internship which is not a VAC scheme, in one of these big law firms. What you can do, uh, so the first internship I did was in a Lebanese law firm. Uh, that was inside the law firm, right? Not in an in-house department. That was amazing because I learned everything that was happening in a law firm on a smaller scale. Uh, but that was amazing. That was what gave me the base to go forward. The second one was in a law firm as well, and that was a choice because um, I wanted to do two internships in law firms minimum to know from different perspectives how it happens inside and to not come in a VAC scheme and say, hi, I've never been in anything related to law before. Then the third one was a coincidence, and that's what's, that's what's nice about it, and that's to show you guys that opportunities come when you expect them the least. Uh, I interned in the legal division of CNN in London. And this was a complete uh, coincidence because I was in a restaurant with my father and a guy walks in who I knew from TV. And this guy was the global head of the commercial division of CNN. So everything that did advertising for the firm. So I woke up to this guy and say, hi, I'm a, I'm a student in London and I, uh, 
I love law and uh, I would like to speak with you to explore opportunities at CNN in legal. Next day, this guy puts me in touch with his head of legal, which then puts me in the process to have an interview for an internship and everything works out in the end. So the in-house thing was good because it gave me a perspective of what happens in a, in a non-law firm but in, on the legal side. And it also showed me that I prefer to, to be in private practice, sorry, because private practice is more substantial work. In-house can be more redundant. But the I, I told the story of how I got this internship to show you that opportunities can come from an elevator, a restaurant, a classroom, anything. It's not just the uh, law application portal you have seen, I think, for the last uh, three months. It's everything, right? So, yeah. so be prepared to hustle a bit on your own. Exactly. Yeah. At all times, right? Don't miss out on an elevator pitch, on a restaurant pitch, on anything, because you can meet someone who can change your life forever. Yes, please. Um, uh, uh, so thank you so much for the, uh, the talk, and also thank you so much for your insights. Um, I, I guess one of my questions, having received your offer from Gibson then, um, two weeks ago, is how do you how do you approach a piece of work that you never came across? Like, especially during the Vax scheme, um, I'm sort of wondering: is it like is it good to ask questions regarding like a piece of work, even even if you want to look as you know what you're doing, kind of what kind of thing? So, how how do you go about asking how to like tackle um, like a piece of work that you've never worked before? That's a great question. You and I spoke on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the good thing about Gibson, again, uh, I speak for Gibson, but I think it's quite similar in similar American law firms. You can ask questions because they know you usually are in uni or you just came out of uni. They do not expect you to be a fourth-year associate. But they want you to try to solve the thing on your own and to show them that you did. And then if you have questions, of course, you can ask and, and they will answer your very happily, but they are very approachable. I could knock on the door of any partner at the firm, from the most senior to the most junior, from any associate, any trainee, any member of staff, everybody was very welcoming and they gave time because they, they know it's three weeks, they know we are welcoming VAC schemers, we wouldn't be welcoming VAC schemers if we didn't want to give them time, right? So ask questions, be proactive, uh, don't be afraid because at Gibson, a point I forgot to mention was they put us in room in a room together, the 18 of us, at least once a day, for a talk with members of practice areas. So to introduce practice areas to us and for us to have a good understanding of what's happening. During these meetings, graduate recruitment is sitting at the back of the room, watching everyone, what they say, the questions they ask. They write down people who ask good questions. And they write down people who ask questions just for the sake of asking questions. They know what's happening. They've been in the business for 20 years, in the case of Gibson Dunn. And they know if you're here trying to fool them, trying to ask questions just to be in the spotlight. So some meetings I didn't ask any questions. I didn't say anything, right? Because I just listened to what was happening. And some meetings I asked five questions in a row. But it was literally, and that's what they said in my feedback, we felt your questions were really to, for you, because you were trying to understand. You, you had a question you wanted an answer to. Whereas some other people were just asking questions for the sake of it, and in the end, it didn't work out. So that's important. Bonafide attempt first, I think. Yeah. And uh, when one funny thing happened in one of those meetings, to show you that you, have, you can be human, right? You don't need to be a robot in these, in, in these meetings. I raised my hand to ask a question, and the partner picked me. And by the time he picked me, I had forgotten my question. So I look at the room, and then I look at the partner, and I said, very sorry, I forgot my question. And the whole room burst into a, a laugh, which was maybe a laugh, maybe a cry, I don't know what it was, <laughs> but they did. And I walked out of this meeting, I was like, yeah, this guy didn't like me. And then a week later, I go to this partner's office, and his assistant was in front of the office, very suits-like, by the way. 
and I ask, uh, I ask for the partner. I, I wanted to see him, and she says, "Who's asking?" I said, "Tell him, tell him it's the guy who forgot his question." She walks in and says, "There's the guy who forgot his question who's out there to see you," and that that partner was one of the most advocating partners for me in the last meeting, and he told me, "This is why you showed me you're human," and then you owned up to the fact you forgot a question and made a good thing about it, right? So they want to see your human. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned that you were Lebanese, so that obviously gives you an international perspective. I also know that you speak several languages, so I just wanted to know how you use that to your advantage, you know, coming from an international background, speaking different languages, how can you use that to, as an asset to applying to firms? They really like it, actually, because the uh, Arabic, more specifically, was useful for me because in the London office, they only have two Arabic-speaking people, one being a partner, one being a trainee who now qualified into associateship. But they only had two Arabic-speaking people and one at a junior level. So I did a lot of Arabic work during my VAC scheme, uh, and I think this is one of the reasons why they... Uh, they picked me is that I can be one other junior Arabic-speaking uh, trainee at the firm. Then the French was a bit useful as well because we did some work with the Brussels office, which had French work. But anyway, point is languages are useful. International perspectives is are useful as well because the firm is really international. And if you're in London, you're going to work with all of the offices at the same time. We had calls in one day with the States, with Asia, with the Middle East, with Europe, with everyone. So it's very interconnected. Um, and to understand what's happening in the world, to understand why this office, why the Brussels office is focusing on EU law, to basically know that EU, the EU is headquartered in Brussels is a very basic information. But it shows you that, it shows them that you know why Brussels does EU law, why Paris does more of French civil arbitration work, why the Middle East does oil and gas, so why oil and gas is in the Middle East, right? The, the US does a lot of financial restructuring because they have big firms, big tech, who buy and sell and buy and sell and buy and sell. So to show them you understand, it, the, the law understanding is 20% of what you have to have. What I'm learning now at BBP is extremely useful and what you LLB students are learning as well is extremely useful. But they want, you're going to do private equity, you're going to do arbitration, you're going to do restructuring, you're going to do loans, you're going to do everything that's not law. It's, it's finance, it's environment, it's employment. You need to know what's happening around you in the world, geopolitically, socially, everything. That's crucial. And this is very easy, just following some accounts on Instagram and uh, watching daily news. That's crucial. It's easy, but it's crucial more than we think, because if you don't know that uh, Saudi Arabia is now betting on oil prices and that we need Saudi Arabia to get uh, oil, whatever, I'm just saying things out of my head, if you don't know this, you're not going to know why the Dubai office has now hired three new partners to focus on oil and gas only, or why they opened a new Abu Dhabi office, or why... The Dallas office is doing tech, uh, oil, oil work with companies in Dubai as well because they have oil in Texas. Just an example. But you have to know everything, basically, that's happening. So you keep up to date with current and economic affairs yes. through some reliable sources. Um, reliable is relative again. <laughs> yeah, well, reliable is probably a good idea, no? Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, oh. some, some people would find the, the news I read not reliable, right? But yeah. in the end, it's, it's the main ones that we all know, right? So CNN, BBC, these are good, uh, good ways to do. But financial news as well, Financial Times, Bloomberg, these are usually very reliable sources of financial information. And on the arbitration side, you have the arbitration review, you have the law review, the Law Society of England and Wales, has a lot of updates they publish as well. You can read updates from firms specifically. So Gibson Dunn, they publish every time they close a deal, every time. So, yeah. so that's useful as well. Okay. Next question. 
Yes, please. Um, how would you network at social events at the firm? Like, what do you recommend? That was a point, actually, I forgot to mention. Uh, social events. They had three social events throughout the VAT scheme. One of them was the summer party, which was amazing because we had to, we, we, we got to see the whole office reunited in, at this event, 100 people, basically. And we were just thrown out there, right? VAC schemers, the first time in, one week in, actually, was the first, first week of the VAC scheme. They threw us in the summer party, go network, right? And the HR, of course, HR are always here, always watching from one corner of the eye. What is this guy doing? Where is this guy doing? Where is it? So if you speak only to partners, they're going to know. Ah, this guy thinks uh, he can only speak to partners and make his way. If you don't speak to any partner, ah, this guy is too shy to go speak to partners. So <laughs> you have to find this balance, which is hard to find, but which is which you can't find in the end. You will find during the VAC scheme of who you speak to, how you speak to them. Just, it's social, right? These social events, by definition, are social. How, so, what do you do? Uh, have you been at Gibson Dunn for, for a long time? Uh, uh, is your family in London? Uh, do you like London? Where do you go in your summer vacation? Everything. Just social interactions. How would you speak to your friend? How would you speak to your parents? Same thing, right? So, don't see these people as uh, aliens. They are people just like you who go to the same restaurants, uh, maybe a bit more expensive restaurants. But <laughs> they, they are people just like us. <laughs> they are people just like us. I mean, they, they really do not want you to think they are aliens, basically. So speak to them. As the second social event was, the, there was a training event which we got to attend, and there was one closing ceremony, basically, which some people attended as well. But, we had a lot of social events with practice areas, with people, so it was really well on the social aspect. Next question. Good. Anything you want to add that you, on reflection, think you should mention? I think, on reflection, the, the whole process is more scary than it looks. Basically, so during it's my worse than it seems now. Yeah, the process. I mean, when I was before starting my applications, it looked like like a giant mountain mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. unclimbable, basically. Yeah. But in the end, once you get a grip to it, it's fine. And most importantly, once you're in the firm, that's when you're really gonna get to prove yourself, right? Because they are gonna see you for three weeks again. They're gonna watch everything you do. And they're going to see basically what's happening with you. They're going to see if they want you in their office full-time for two years and possibly for 30 years. And they're going to they're gonna want. But in the end, uh, don't speak to one person, but don't speak to 50. Build a network that's going to be strong enough for them to advocate for you. In the, because there's a final meeting in the end, which uh, is very scary you know, when I put it this way. So eight partners, they sit in a room, they have a list, 18 of us, and they debate for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of who's going to get in and who's not going to get in. And in my case, I waited a week because I, uh, the people with, the, in, with me on the VAC scheme are all 25, 26 and older. I was 21 when I did the VAC scheme, so this posed a bit of an issue because they unfortunately had to reject people who were 27, 26, who had done a lot of paralegaling work, and they felt like it was a bit tricky to accept me as a 21-year-old in that case. So I had to wait a, a week extra, with, which added stress, because they had to do extra meetings and make sure everything was in order with the states and with everything. So the process is very stressful after the VAC scheme to wait for the offer to know. But do not fear rejection. I had, out of 15 law firms, again, 13 rejections. I received one, archived the email, passed on to the next one, right? It's, it's fine. You will have rejections because that's the process. And even if one cycle doesn't work, the next one is going to work. There's a lot of law firms out there. 
And even if you do a VAC scheme, because that's a bit harder to get a rejection after the VAC scheme, if you do a VAC scheme and get a rejection, do not lose hope either, because when you're in one of these law firms, you're going to get another one if you don't get the TC. So at all of my friends on the VAC scheme who did not get Gibson done are now either in the final process or already signed another training contract two months after leaving Gibson done. So it's fine. The process is fine. You're going to get in in the end. There are a lot of ways to get in, and rejection is fine, but work hard because in the end it's totally worth it. Yes, please. Yeah, I've got one more question. Um, so I've heard from a lot of friends of mine, they seem to value especially Gibson Dunn, SCAD and Kirkland, an intrinsic understanding of business. And I've heard that a lot of people, even if you start a venture, it doesn't really turn out to be successful. The lessons you learn from it seem to be pretty valuable and they seem to be putting a bit of emphasis on, on that. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you, but I'm not hearing. So I was, I was, the point I was making is a lot of these firms like Kirkland, uh, yeah. Wired especially, seem to be emphasizing that understanding of business. Yeah. And I've heard stories of people starting something and not working out, but that really driving like their application, how important would you say that aspect is? Starting a business? Yeah. You mean as applicants as to student, have started a business? Yeah, yeah, as a student. Uh, so I... Uh, it's funny you ask, because I, I started a, a, an, an NGO in Lebanon. I founded an NGO in Lebanon a year before applying, uh, when the crisis was was very intense, and uh, this NGO helped uh, people to find jobs. Right? So we had 20 volunteers who worked uh, part-time, and we helped 400 people find jobs in the end. Uh, this was very useful. I mean, they liked this a lot, Gibson Dunn, because it, was, it showed an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial side to my application. They liked the fact that I tried to do something, that I endeavored, that I helped, that I was, I got out of my LSC comfort zone management, uh, I did something else. So, and it's easy, it's relatively easy in, in, in terms that I didn't have any funding. The, the, the NGO did not receive any donation and did not have any cost. It was all online, all Zoom meetings, all social media. So it's not that hard to found, to, to, to create something if you have an idea in mind. So if you do, if you're lucky enough to have an idea in mind, do it without any hesitation, even if it fails, because then for you, this was the most, for me, this was the most enriching experience of my life to, to, to work in, with this, in, in this NGO. And for them, for Gibson, it showed that I could think out of the box, create something, work on it, make it my baby, and then make it my child, and then make it my, uh, right, adult. <laughs> so if you have an idea in mind, don't hesitate, because they like it. Yes, please. Uh, what's the main difference to applying for VAC schemes in the UK and in the Middle East, for example? So I applied to two uh, Middle East VAC schemes. Uh, there's not much of a difference. The difference is that you have one year there in, in Dubai, usually. Uh, which is good, but it's bad at the same time because it, Dubai now, for me, the Middle East is a career plan for the next, in the next 10 years, right? Maybe in 10 years, in 15 years, I would move to, to the Middle East, to Dubai. But now, the Middle East closes some doors for us because London, you have a lot more exposure to a lot more cases and a lot more clients. The scale is... 10 times higher in London. So advice I got, which I found useful, was you go to the Middle East later. When you got exposure, when you grew your network, and when you can use this, uh, but to grow now from age 22 to 35, London is a better base because you have, you have everything here, right? But Middle East VAC schemes are sometimes easier to get in, because, especially if you speak Arabic, because it's a requirement. And um, smaller intakes, so you have a, more, a bigger chance of getting a training contract. But Middle East VAC schemes are only available in four firms, I think, which are the Magic Circle UK firms. I don't know if I'm, if I'm right on this, but it can be a good option if you have the opportunity. But, but it's the same application process. Just there's an extra question, why the Dubai office, please? Yes, please. If that's all right with you, could I ask you to speak a bit about, like, 
when you did your research about Gibson Dunn, like what was it about Gibson Dunn that appealed to you specifically? Was it like its strength in the Middle in the Middle East? Was it its practice areas? Like what made you get get a passion for the firm? I think it's a bit of everything, right? But the most important thing was the advice I got from future trainees, which you're getting from me now, which is invaluable, I think, because this is what I think got me in, right? Applying what I heard, knowing why the Gibson Dunn is the best choice for me. And I think if I have to summarize them, it's the human value they have. You're not a number, you're a person. You, they need you, you need them. It's a two-way street. And the work that trainees do is work associates do in other firms. So you do really important work. In every case, usually there's one partner, two associates, one trainee. So it's a very close circle. You work with them. You have direct access to partners. You usually work with partners every day on your on your on their job, which is, I can assure you, not the case in in UK firms because of the bigger numbers. Not because the work is is not as good, because just the numbers are too big. So a hundred people, a hundred new trainees a year is huge. Right? I mean, how how are you going to accommodate? So so the question then is, you 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 identify people who are trainees. Yeah, on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Best, best friend, best everything. <laughs> LinkedIn, uh, you, you just write future training solicitor Gibson Dunn. And, then and I think that's how a lot of message, Thinking of applying, can we talk? Exactly. But, but do not ask them broad questions. Don't say, I sometimes receive messages on LinkedIn, not from you. <laughs> I sometimes receive messages on LinkedIn, uh, hi, tell me everything I need to know about Gibson Dunn. I'm not going to tell you everything you need to know about Gibson Dunn, right? So we're not just ask specific questions. What I asked usually was advice on the interview process, and when I got the offer, advice on how to manage there. I, I, I hopped on a call with them. It was better than on LinkedIn. So I asked for if they had time for a call. There was one trainee who now became my friend. We had calls before uh, I joined. She helped me a lot in, in the process, and she guided me to, towards everything. And then, in the end, that was the best advice I got. Um, but in terms of, of how I chose Gibson Dunn, I think the VAC scheme helped a lot. But before that, I knew that it was a firm that would make me involved a lot in everything that was happening daily. And then after the VAC scheme, I was even more sure of that because of everything I said. I mean, uh, the work I did, those people, social interactions, people were genuinely nice. I did not meet one person who was not nice to me at this in this office. The small size is invaluable. A hundred people in London, so you know everyone. Everyone becomes your friend or your or very good colleague, basically. So, uh, so the, the good, the small size is very very valuable, and it's not the case in a lot of American firms. So Kirkland is twice the size of Gibson in London, and this is what made me go there. The size. It's small, it's the same work, same money, but less people. So you, in the end, have the better interaction. Would you also think super long-term in how likely am I to become partner? I did, actually. And uh, for that, LinkedIn as well. You basically go and see partners. How long did it take from trainee to, to partner? At Gibson or trend, uh, laterally. And usually, from what I saw, it's between 10 to 15 years, which is fine, right? I mean, 10 to 15 years, uh, you can become partner at 35 or 40, and they, you, may, you, you stay partner for 15 years, even 20 years, which is amazing, right? So Gibson, they love to promote their own. They hire a lot of people uh, from other firms, but they love to promote their own, especially now. They look to promote people from trainee to associate to partner, they want people to stay in the firm. So you, but mm, I can assure you not everyone is going to make partner. I might not make partner and that does not mean you will not succeed. You can go to become an in-house lawyer and be global head of legal of a firm, right? Or you can go to another firm and make partner there. Doors are never closed in this industry. That's what's nice. You, you always have a way through once you're in the system. So get in the system, then everything, if you're good, everything should work out. But the getting in the system part was the part that was the hardest, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, please.
Um, what, what's the general consensus um, at Gibson when it comes to um, qualifying maybe in other countries? I don't know if um, you had the chance to talk to some people at the firm who maybe qualified in the U.S. or were thinking of qualifying in the U.S. I know that some, in some um, other U.S. firms, people from London tend to maybe go to New York or California and take the bar. What's the general consensus? Do you think that's something that I can also talk about or maybe it's a little bit frowned upon because I'm planning to qualify yeah, yeah. in London first? So what do you think about, uh, about that? I mean, you can be honest uh, about what you want, but there are some qualified, some newer, newer qualified lawyers in London, not a lot of them, and some London qualified lawyers in New York, but they, they usually... I mean, it's not really advised because they like people who, right, you qualify in London, your stronghold is here, so stay, try to stay here. But at Gibson, it's a bit easier because, again, the offices are very interconnected. So I know someone who was in London who went, Gibson sponsored him to do the everything, the bar preparation in, in the States, and then he stayed there. But that's not a lot. It doesn't happen a lot, so my advice would be tell them you want to be in London now, right? Because you're applying to Gibson London, not to Gibson anywhere. Then inside, anything can happen, right? You can request for a change if you want to, or to the Middle East, to, to the States. It happens. But now, I, for example, I told them that I would, I like Dubai, I like the Dubai office, but that for the next 10 years, I aim to be in London. That could change. I could leave in, in four years and go to Dubai if the occasion arises, but... You show them that now it's Gibson done, and it's London, and it's the UK. Okay. Yes, please. Um, when you get accepted for vacation schemes, and you're dealing with other applicants who are applying for the same training contract, how do you deal with that level of competitiveness? Yeah, how do you deal with competition? Ah, competition there, you've been during the last year. Yeah, amongst your peers. The good thing about Gibson, again, is that I did not feel in competition with any of the 18 people who were with me on the VAC scheme at any point. Because we became friends from the first day. Uh, a lot of social interactions as well, organized by them. So drinks with uh, your VAC schemers, uh, axe uh, throwing with the whole firm. Uh, I was up against uh, the managing partner of the office in axe throwing. And I won. <laughs> but uh, they, they make you have a lot of social interactions with them and with your fellow VAC schemers and everybody's nice and they don't like this competition spirit if they feel that you are here to win uh, every time talking about the training contract they're not going to like it we didn't mention the training contract never like maybe towards the last week we started talking about it and uh, discussing some things about the CC but become friends with these people these can be your colleagues, your co-counsel, your opposing counsel, your clients, your your husband. <laughs> but a lot of things come from the social interactions you're gonna do there, right? So they love it. They want to, you to be friends before being competitors. So that was not a problem. Yes, please. Sorry, something that's really more about the competition before you get the VAC scheme. So. How do you differentiate your CV from other people's CV? Because you're going to be thousands of applicants, and how do you show that you are the best applicant on writing? In the end, you can't be sure, right? You cannot be sure that you are showing them you're the best applicant in writing. But my, my strategy was non-law student, but my life outside of LSE was only law-related. right? So everything I did outside of LSE, law society, inside LSE, but my internships, my conferences I attended, talks, things like these, was law-related. So not I preferred to do that rather than showing them. I did management, and then my third year I had a, a, a revelation that I wanted to be a lawyer. It's been the case from the very beginning, and they had to know that for me to be able to say what I wanted to say in the most honest way because it's the truth, right, in the end. I've wanted to do this since the ninth grade. So I wanted them to know that. Uh, and then the other part was the entrepreneurial spirit with this NGO thing I talked about. So you find your own thing, right? It's not going to be the same for you or for anyone here. You find what you like, why you think you are a good candidate for this firm. Is it a thing you did at uni? Is it a thing in your family? Is it a thing in your community? It can be anything. 
but it has to be honest. They will know if you're trying to. I'm not going to say the word. Your way. In. <laughs> so thank you very much um, to Abdul for organizing and to, to you for answering all the questions. Um, and I'm sure you can stay around to. Of course, yeah. Um, answer some more questions. Feel free to connect uh, if you want on LinkedIn or anything and ask me further questions. <laughs>